I'm beginning to think Yes, I'm beginning to think Thoughts become me Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner-Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world-class talent. Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real-life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? So I had an opportunity last week to be a guest lecturer at the USC Saul Price School of Public Policy. I was teaching a course to a bunch of their graduate students. And what we were talking about was listening and how most people think listening is just sort of something that happens. In reality, and longtime listeners to the show will know that listening is actually a skill. Hearing is what happens automatically. Listening is a skill that we develop to really pay attention to other people. One of the things that I had not yet learned about listening is that for some folks, they have to really amass their energy in order to be ready, be prepared to really listen well. And that was surprising to me because I'm not one of those folks. If you say to me, hey, Janine, I have something to tell you, I can just immediately slide into listening to you. And that's how I'm wired. And Y'all know, you know, the way we think, the way that we're wired is the way that everybody else is wired. And it's so not true. And so for a lot of people, they need time to get centered, to gather energy. If listening is not something that comes naturally to them, maybe it's a new skill. Maybe they grew up in a family where nobody listened. Maybe they are really somebody who got trained in the hard sciences or in um, mechanical engineering or in, you know, my husband went to Caltech as a chemical engineer. Sometimes those kinds of folks, IT folks, folks who are really good at accounting, sometimes those folks who've been trained in that particular kind of way, they need more space to get ready to listen. And so if you find out that you are in any kind of relationship with one of those sorts of folks, it's really important to give them a heads up. Whereas you could come to me and say, hey, Janine, I have something I want to talk to you about. Can you listen to me? And I would say yes, and be able to just clunk slide right into that. Other people need time space in order to get prepared to listen. So just something that I found out about that I'm paying attention today, which brings me right to our guest. 
I'm so excited, y'all, to introduce you to Tim Lupinacci. He is the chairman and CEO of the law firm Baker Donaldson. He's been with them for a long time, and he's been their CEO for the past four years. And he is bringing a renewed focus to leadership. He is excited about helping his people find their passion and really dial in on the skills of leadership. So, of course, I'm super excited to talk to him. He's also just created a nonprofit organization, which is all about helping underserved communities develop their own leadership and their own leadership skills. Welcome to the show, Tim. Well, Janine, I am so thrilled to be here and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Ah, me too. So I'm going to begin the way that I often do, which is, please, Tim, tell me something that you have become aware of that we're not paying enough attention to, either consciously or unconsciously. And what's the cost of that inattention? Well, that's a great question, Janine. And it's interesting because I guess we're both learning some of the similar things in the past week. Because in the past week, it, this a subset of it had to do with listening. But huh. I heard an individual talking about, and I, I know you really are passionate about knowing neuroscience and getting into that. Uh, I, I'm not an expert in that area. This was a person bringing some of these concepts. And they said, and this also resonated with me from a leadership perspective, but in the acceleration that we have in this uh, world where everyone's got to be so hyper-focused on everything and really driving everything forward so much, that stress, if we're not careful and if we don't manage it, will manifest itself in several traits that we may not even realize are coming out, including that we're not as good at listening to others that we tend to default to micromanagement because we feel like nothing's in control. We want the control of those things that we can control. We're not as creative. We're not as innovative. And our quality of our decision-making isn't as strong. It really does impede our ability to focus and to drive things forward. So that sounds counterintuitive, but the, the hyper acceleration of this world, if we don't yeah. slow down, all those things are results that if we're not thinking about it can have very negative aspects. And I had to think about it myself because I know our leadership team, it seems like we're all just always saying, how do you feel? I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted. And I can never right? seem to catch up. But then when I heard the connection that it's also maybe making us not listen to each other as much, becoming more critical of each other, not showing as much empathy. That's something I need to know and I need to think about for myself. Um, so it really does riff off of a little bit what you learned too. So anyway, that's what I'm learning. And I've got to really focus on doing better at. I love that connection between, you know, we all know we are in this time. I just wrote an article last week about that started with, you know, there's an ancient curse. May you live in interesting <laughs> times. And boy, howdy, the times they are interesting. And one of the things that it all, it feels like we are all experiencing is this speed up of time. Is this, we never have enough time. We never have enough space. We never have enough energy. You know, it, it feels like everybody's tired, everybody, you know, you know, I were just talking about our weekends and you had, you said you had a fairly uneventful weekend. And my response yeah. was like, oh, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it feels like we are all just going, going, going. 
and to understand that one of the ramifications of that speed up happening in our world is that we are being less patient. We are being Mm -hmm. less able to listen well. We are, our tendency is then to fall back into micromanagement, fall back into what can I control? I know I can control you. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. And, and that's not what we want to be doing. And so given that you've just learned this, given that I just learned this other thing about needing to prepare to listen, obviously you haven't really created a plan forward, but do you have any initial thoughts about like, huh, okay. So then what does that mean about how I get to take a breath, how I get to slow down a little bit, how I get to work with my people to slow down a little bit? Where, where are you at with thinking about this? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And so um, some of it was just a reminder of the importance of what I like to call my daily disciplines of, you know, some quiet time of reflection and trying mm. to try to get outside and exercise a little bit, run a little bit, read a little bit, and just realizing that's so important to have that time. And it's also easy to when the day looks pretty daunting to skip it, right? <laughs> so that's one reminder. And then the other thing was interesting because you mentioned I've been in the role four years and uh, the, I had a six-month transition before I became a CEO and my predecessor had been in the role 20 years. So um, it's kind of a, a first time in a while there'd been a change. And yep. we had to had some financial plateau and some, and we actually, during my transition, had a pretty rough fiscal year end. And then, hey, welcome to the seat, Tim. But but in that mindset, it was really okay. And this is part of who I am anyway, but it really incentivized me. I wanted to get out to all our 22 offices, sit down in conference rooms, get feedback, hear the good, the bad, the ugly, because I wanted us to get better. uh, And then really to, to listen more intently and then to hear the feedback and then act on it, not just, you know, take, go down notes and then forget about it. Um, And then Fast forward, the last couple of years, we've had record years. We've got increased engagement, a lot of positive things going. But I think sometimes I've can, you can get, I'm, I'm really tying this all together that, you know, am I maybe getting a little too comfortable mm. and not remembering some of those basics? Uh, I don't, I really don't view myself as a micromanager, but I have to like think about it. Well, maybe, maybe I have been a little short about some things because it wasn't going exactly my, the way I thought it should instead right. of listening and reflecting. So I guess it was. Mostly it's been reflecting, but it's also been reflecting on an arc of a period of years where I probably had more incentive to do some of those daily disciplines because I had to to get the ship turned around. Right. And now that it's kind of on a decent trajectory, it's like, so I don't know, like you said, it's real time and and I'm just going to keep building out on this, but it's great stuff to think about. (laughs) Yeah. And part of what I love about that is that you're looking at, all right, when I took this firm over as its CEO, we were in a slump. And so then what did I do to help turn the ship around? And then have I let go of some of those practices that got us to where we are now? Right. Which is so common. You know, we say, okay, we've got this working with a manufacturing company right now, and we are creating an entire diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging program for them. Right. Which is fascinating to do because they're here in California, they're in Canada, they're in Great Britain, and they're in China. So thinking about, right? So thinking about what does diversity, 
equity, inclusion, and belonging look like in all of those places? And how do we create commonality? And one of the things that I'm enjoying so much about working with this company is that they are very clear that this is not an initiative that they're going to do and then it's going to be done and then they're going to move on. And so they're looking at who are the key players in all of their business units, in all of their locations that need to be involved in this, that need to be owning it for the long term. And how do we keep that momentum going? And so, you know, I know one of your passions is around leadership. So for yourself, for your employees, for this new nonprofit, how do you think about getting people excited in leadership for the long term? Because leadership is definitely not a check the box, one and done kind of endeavor. Right. Right. No, and that's a great question. There's so much, so many, uh, was it peels of the onion to, or yes. you know, things of the onion to peel back? Because even when you were talking about the, the work with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, because even that takes leadership to step up, make it more than words. And how do you keep that momentum and, and show the value of it when yep. you have people who are skeptical and maybe are different places in their journey? You know, I started out, I guess, uh, a couple things that come to mind initially. I started out when I was named as the next CEO, we had a town hall to kind of introduce me to the firm. I, I was here. I was running a business unit, but not. I didn't know everyone. And I really started out just talking about the idea that everyone is a leader. So some of it is just um, speaking into people and the confidence that because like I didn't realize I was a leader when I was a young lawyer and my boss who was very hard and yelled at me a lot and he said I let him down but they let but one time he said you let me well I'm so disappointed you let me down is because I see you as a leader and you're not owning your career and owning the project you're just doing this very transactionally so I think one level huh. is speaking leadership into people and to show yes. the, um, that they can do it. But then you have to provide them, again, those are just words. You have to get them bought in on what you're trying to accomplish. And so we built out a, a vision around becoming a trusted advisor to each client. And that's uh-huh. nothing new about that. But we did it, not only is it externally, like so the lawyers and the professionals may be dealing with external clients, but maybe you don't ever touch an external client you have an important role in this because you can build those trusted relationships within the firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a very inclusive vision. And I need, uh, you know, I really want everyone to step up into seeing how they can get better at this every day. And then we built out, I call it a trusted advisor, mini MBA. It's a silly name because it's not a, people who have MBAs know this. I'm not trying to suggest <laughs> that doing a few classes gets you an MBA, but it was a way to kind of brand it internally, yeah. but um, to build out training and skill building. So everyone can get better at this and really tying it. You talked earlier, we talked earlier about tying it to purpose. Like yeah. we're not just doing this to make up more money for the partners or whatever. We're doing it because we're helping our clients. We're serving our clients. We're helping all of us to get better in our training and our skill building. And we really can help change the world in some sense by helping our clients hit their strategic objectives. And so there's a lot there that I pull through all that, but it really does start with having a plan, getting a buy-in, showing how everyone has a role in it, and then putting some measures on it, which I think mm-hmm. also is another thing that particularly when I think about the E&I and belonging and and like we have a plan, a diversity and inclusion compact, I have a compact and put very specific measures on what uh-huh. we expect our leaders to do. 
And so all that to say, there's a lot in there, but that's why it's it's a difficult thing. I think just in short answers say about why is leadership so important, but it really does drive everything um, that I'm trying to accomplish. So. So in our society today, many people have the idea that the CEO of a company, that's a leader. The coach of a football team, that's a leader. The principal in a school, that's a leader. This idea that you and I share of everyone is a leader. It doesn't matter what your job is. doesn't matter what your job title is. Everyone has the opportunity to be a leader. and, And it's a choice that you can step into. Where did that come from for you? Where did that realization and this importance of leadership, do you know where this got generated yeah. from? Well, I really do think some of it goes back to the boss I mentioned, because I kind of I jokingly that I backed into law school because I was a mass <laughs> comm major. I was going to do radio and television. I thought that was going to be my career. Although now, I mean, I've, I've seen some videos from college when I was doing it, and, I, and I'm glad I changed my career. But, but, but I, so I took a media law course and I thought it was interesting and I ended up mm. in law school. So I didn't have lawyers in my family. I didn't know any lawyers. And so I come into the practice with a lot of debt and needing to succeed <laughs> at this. Um, but I didn't really ex- know what to expect. I did look at this as very transactional. I got a project uh-huh. from a boss. I did it. I turned it in. I went to the next project. And then this, it was a pretty big project that I was working with uh, somebody who was about five years my senior. And then we were both getting this done for our boss. Mm-hmm. And we got it. I got my part done to the you know little bit older lawyer. He turned it into the boss. And then we both got called into his office and getting yelled at about uh, he's on a phone with a bunch of lawyers that we had messed it up. And these idiots are going to stay here all night to fix it, which is not good leadership, by the nope. way. But uh, the next and day, I had to, it's <laughs> pretty common in law firms, right? And, and maybe that, in you know, too, I worked right? in law firms. That yes. that sort of being yelled at in that kind it of happens. way, being called a name, and you're going to stay here all night. That is a common culture in law firms. Right. And it was far to me because I thought I'm lo- yeah. I thought I'm losing my job. Well, the next right? morning, I had drawn the short straw to drive the boss to court. About an hour and a half drive. And it's very, you know, it's awkward silence when I picked him up. Um, But then uh, he did apologize after a while. And he said he shouldn't have yelled in front of the other lawyers. Uh And then he said, the reason I was so angry was because I really do see leadership in you, Tim, that you have somebody that can really drive and grow in leading others. And like the intuitive, he kind of intimated that he didn't necessarily see that in the other lawyer that was kind of the mid-level person that we were working together. And that's Uh why he was so aggravated at me. And so that was really the first time that I recall that somebody saw, said, hey, you're a leader. I need you to step up. So that did lead me on this journey. Well, I need to figure out what this means. So I've turned <laughs> to reading books and going to events. Nowadays, of course, you can listen to podcasts and books on tape and all of that. But I was really just uh, trying to learn. And that really did lead to this thing about that then made me a better lawyer for sure, but then helping others to achieve their goals. And it just really something that inspired me more than money or position or whatever, just helping folks realize they're a leader and they can get better at it. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, Yeah, sure. (laughs) So as I alluded to, I worked in a couple of very big law firms in New York City. And that kind of culture is endemic, not only in law firms, but in a lot of organizations where it is normal for people to get yelled at. And it's one of the things that is changing with, you know, my, my analysis is that we are in this 
interesting time where organizations are at the effect of a perfect storm that they're often not entirely clear about. We've got at least three things going on. We've got the population and demographic shifts with the Gen Zs and the millennials uh, really changing the expectations in the face of work. And then we have uh, what happened during COVID and people having time to themselves, many of them when they were sent home, and many people had the opportunity to work from home and Mm -hmm. are now in this place of, I don't really want to go back to the office. So there's this There's this push and pull about the role of being together and and what does that serve? And we have the social movements that have been happening around DE&I, around Me Too and Black Lives Matter. And so there's this pressure on Mm -hmm. the workforce to respond in a different way. And part of what I love about you is that you are in the process of transforming not only a very large law firm, but also creating this nonprofit organization, helping people in underserved communities develop their own leadership and develop the community's leadership. So wherever you would like to go in that, if you (laughs) want to talk about sort of what the journey has been in creating some culture shifts in the law firm. If you want to talk about the nonprofit, I, I would love to hear about any or all of that. Yes. No, and you, I think you hit the nail on the head about just the environment we find ourselves in. And I love how you describe it as the perfect storm because um, it is a challenge. I mean, I know I can talk and it sounds like we're, you know, hey, this is utopia. We're just this great <laughs> law firm. And, and, but, uh, but, but uh-uh. it, it is that it's that balance of we're business and we're serving our clients and we right. have to do that with excellence. But to build engagement and purpose in our people is also important. And that's how it's going to make us better at serving our clients. And then it will result in better, you know, financial results. And so walking that line is hard. And we really try to, um, because you ha- we have to perform at some levels to be able to do a lot of what we're trying to accomplish. So I would just encourage leaders and listeners to recognize it's hard, but it's a battle. It's not battles, the right, the right word. It's, it's hard work that's worth doing. Yeah. Um, because I do see individuals really growing in themselves, but also it's, it is leading. We've had a couple of record years by focusing on it. Um, and the transformation, every uh, transformation is hard because change management and people like it the old way. And we hear that's that right. I like it the old way. I don't like change. We moved offices recently and I'm like, I've been parking in the same parking spot for 30 years. I don't want to move an <laughs> office, um, but, but I adapted. Right? right. So anyway, uh, I just want, I guess I'll encourage folks with that. And then I guess a couple of years ago, one of a mentor friend of mine said, well, what's Tim in five years or 10 years look like? Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, you know, I, I, I definitely uh, at that point will hopefully have accomplished our Baker vision 2028 and, Maybe, you know, I've had an opportunity to have a successor step in and, and start thinking about what I said, well, maybe I go work for a nonprofit. And then he said, well, why don't you start one, you know, and just throwing <laughs> out these ideas yeah. that really are connecting to the purpose of giving back. And um, at the same time, we were we're in a three year partnership with organizations across our footprint. And we call Baker Cares, giving back to the community of working with homeless organizations, organizations oh. that are helping to eradicate homelessness. Yep. Um, and. I was so inspired by these organizations that they're really teaching basic life skills, like opening a bank account, getting a driver's license, skills to be able to get the first job, clothing to wear and all that stuff. And then I started thinking, well, now that they've got a job, it's almost like the next level is 
what about conflict resolution and teamwork and team building and interaction and listening? And, <laughs> and I thought those are basic leadership skills that you and I can learn and grow every day by all right. access to everything we've had. I've had it in both of our lives. And I thought, well, maybe what if I look at a way to try to partner bringing basic leadership skills back into the community, working with other nonprofits. Uh, another organization I've talked to about doing this is individuals coming back from prisons into Ooh. reentry into career. And um, obviously, you know, we all make mistakes, but we all are trying to learn from them. Well, now how can we help do that? So I've built out training manuals. I'm starting to really build out. Uh, I've got a website trying to build out some video content, very early stages because I've got a, a day job, right? Of running this organization. <laughs> this is your side hustle. <laughs> That's right. Right. That's exactly right. But but I've been beginning working with some organizations and I can see some light bulbs go off. Even just the idea of telling these young, this the, the first organization I was working with uh, was you know, younger youth at risk. Mm-hmm. And they're like thinking of themselves as a leader. So anyway, uh, it's yeah. been it's been rewarding. Um, and I think that's just because it adds some purpose to my life. And I think that's what our colleagues in our organizations are looking for, seeing purpose in what they do every day, but then also to facilitate some other purpose type opportunities like our Baker Cares uh, partnerships. So. And and I love it that you guys are doing that. And so one of the things that is so can be so tricky about doing this work is that as I know you know, many CEOs have the perspective of, you know, well, that's ancillary. That's a side thing that we're going to maybe work on at some point in the future when we've got money. And Janine, don't you know, like the the economy's (laughs) uncertain and, you know, like how could we take this on right now? And my perspective is always, how could you not take it on right now? And so- I'm curious if you have had pushback from other leaders, either within Baker Donaldson or other CEOs around you who were like, Tim, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, I, I haven't uh, much within the firm because I think we've, bec- and some of this, depending on an individual's lens, some of it's because we've had record financial results. So it's like, okay, well, I don't necessarily, some people may say, I don't really care about getting involved. But, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine as long as you're delivering. And then you have others that really see the value and how it does connect to the financial results. And one thing I did um, that I think probably has helped with our leaders is that whenever we have a leadership, we try to move our leadership meetings around because we have 23 offices now. Mm -hmm. Whenever we have a leaders meeting, whether it's a board meeting or our business unit department chairs, uh, I will uh, we'll do a Baker Cares event in that city mm. with that local organization. A lot of time, if it's our bigger leadership group, it may just be a half hour, 45 minute presentation with some of our local folks involved helping to seed the discussion. Other times, it's uh, I was in uh, Memphis last a uh, couple of weeks ago and I went and we've served dinner at our uh, Baker Cares organization there. Or another place I went and toured in Atlanta, I found that they had like some office space that use for different training things. And I asked if we could have our C-suite come do one of our quarterly meetings there. Cause I, th- I know, and we got the tour of the place. I just thought, well, they could see the lens of what's, what right. our work is actually helping facilitate. So I think that helps connect it all. So those are yeah. just some things we've done, but you're right. There's people that are cynical and would never go do that themselves, but you just have to, you know, show the connection and the vision and well, and and part of what I love about how you are creating this is through the Baker's Cares work, 
Because as you said, so many people are, and I think it's one of the maybe not fully understood ramifications of COVID is that when people had this time off or this time, Mm -hmm. this distance from work, plus we were in a, you know, in a global pandemic in which many people were dying. And so, you know, issues around life and death and the meaning of life and so people became much more interested in this question around what is the purpose of my life? What is my life right. going to mean? And and wanting something more than, you know, whatever it is that I'm creating inside of my family or, you know, wanting to have work that is meaningful. And I mean, I tell a story about during COVID, I had the opportunity to interview a a hospital CEO. And he was talking about how challenging it was. And one of the things in his hospital is that people can choose their own scrubs. And so you Mm. can't tell from looking at somebody, what their job is. I mean, often in a hospital, if you're wearing this color, right. you're this kind of employee. If you're this color, you're a surgeon, you know. So he could never tell. And so he talked about this one day when he was walking the halls and he came across a gentleman and he said to that gentleman, What is your role here? And the gentleman said, I clean the floors. And the CEO said, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for everything you're doing, you know. Being as clean as we can possibly be is so important these days, always important, but especially important these days. And then he went along and and he came across another gentleman and he said to that gentleman, what is your job here? And that gentleman said, my job is to have my floors sparkle so that my patients heal faster. Wow. Right. And the CEO said to me, that guy is a leader, just like I am a leader that guy is a leader and and so his his role is cleaning the floor and he has connected that to what the hospital is doing and he has a relationship with his patients he owns his patients right and so he feels so much meaning in the job of cleaning the floors And I think as people who are in positions of leadership, as opposed to a mantle of leadership, people who are in positions of leadership, that's one of our roles in this sort of new day is to help people make the connection between whatever your day-to-day activity is, why that matters for the work of the organization, how the work of the organization is making the world a better place. And then how, you know, all of that just cascades up. And so I love the way that you are getting involved in local communities. And, and so it's not only, you know, that Baker Donaldson is doing good work and you're doing good work for your clients, but then it's also this connection to the local places and the communities that you get to serve in a different way. Yeah. What a great story. That's so inspiring. And you know, what's amazing about that is we probably in our organization all have, I mean, I thought of a couple of our individuals that would be just like that, how they Uh connect the job that some people would say, well, that's a mundane, whatever, and connect it up. But, and then telling those stories though, I mean, like I I hope that I'm sure that that CEO told that story throughout that company. And of course told you, and and we've tried to do that too, to tell sort of, uh, we, we call them purpose stories. 
and some of it's with individuals like in their practice that they've uh, like we have one example of, of a great leader of ours who went into a career and be in doing behavioral health uh, work mm-hmm. like she helps clients in that space but then when she tells her story, it's because she had some family history of the need for behavioral health. Mm-hmm. And then that led her to invest in some nonprofits where she saw the impact. And now she's a lawyer that's actually helping for-profit companies deliver. And she says, when I'm at my desk late at night, billing hours, mm-hmm. I know it's more than just that hour. It's something that has helped my family and it's helping our community. And so telling those stories is as uh, empowering, just like the story just told me has impacted me to hear that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something we can all do. Yeah. I mean, I think that power of story was trained a hundred years ago uh, yeah. by the same gentleman who trained Cesar Chavez. I was trained as a community organizer back right. in the 1980s. And one of the things that he always said was forget the facts and figures and tell them the story mm. that brought you to the cause. And, you know, here I am 40 years later, that piece of wisdom has stuck with me. And because I think it is so, it is so wise and human beings are wired to understand story. We are wired to resonate with story. It's how we, part of how our brain sorts information. And so when we can tell stories and connect people to who I am, who you are, who Baker Donaldson is through a story, they are going to get much more engaged. Most, most people, there are, there are outliers in, in, in everything. And most people are going to get, get that feeling of, Ooh, I want to, I want to be with these people. I want to be doing this with Tim because of who Tim is. And, and I now I know Tim's story. And, you know, the things that we are in this moment in time, <laughs> talk about a continuing perfect storm, there are 1.7 available jobs for every human in the U.S. Oh, working. Right. So when when organizations say we're having a hard time finding the right talent, like, yeah, that's because yeah. we have too many jobs available. And so organizations are having a hard time recruiting and retaining the top talent. And part, I believe, part of how you do that is you create the internal conditions where people are like, oh my gosh, this is who I want to work with. This is the organization I want to stay with. Because the other thing, as we know, that's happening with these younger generations is they are much less likely to stick around someplace for a long time. You know, my dad started at an architectural firm that he ended his career at with with a couple of little then consulting things that he did because he was like, yeah, I'm not ready to retire. But, But that was what used to happen. And that is not what happens anymore. And so how do we encourage people to stick around for as long as we can? And part of what I feel like is really critical is that, you know, we, I, I heard this, if you haven't seen it yet, if you go to, if you just Google failure, Greek freak. So there is a 
famous NBA star currently playing whose nickname is the Greek freak. And he, his team made it to the finals and then lost in one of the early ish rounds. And so he was being asked by a reporter, you know, well, so how do you feel about this season's failure? And Giannis is, is his first name. Yes. And he goes off on this three-minute thing about failure and how, in his opinion, there is no failure in sports. It is all about learning. And, and he says, you asked me the same question last year, and I wasn't in the right mental space to answer the question the way that I wanted. And I've been thinking about it. <laughs> Like for the whole year, he's been thinking about if I get asked this question, I want to say it different. And and I thought it was so brilliant because sports, of course, is a domain in which we think very much about winners and losers. And so here is this athlete, you know, at at the top of his game talking about how there is no failure in sports and it's all learning. And so I got thinking about, you know, we are talking so much about we need to be innovating. We need to be thinking outside the box. We can't do that with our old paradigm around failure because in order to succeed, we have to be okay to make mistakes. We've got to be okay to fail sometimes. And so we need to transform our relationship with failure. And then if we're seeking to be okay with failure, we've got to create psychological safety. It's got to be safe to fail. Then in order to be safe to fail, we've got to have trust. And in order to have trust, we've got to have connectivity. And part of the way we create connectivity is through story. And so, you know, I think there's such a, and we can't, create connectivity if we're not listening well, you know, so back to, back to where we started. So yeah. I, I think there's so much wisdom and synergy in what you guys are up to, given where we find ourselves today. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I, I love how you bring it back. It did come full circle. Storytelling does too, because I think early in our discussion, you talked about how do you get people to buy in to yeah. where you're heading and into what you're doing. And, and I, we really, we literally, we hired a professional story coach to help coach our people when we were launching Baker Vision 2028. And we talked about the whole retreat was built around the story of Baker Vision. And some of it, like you said, is about, or do they want to follow me and what I'm yeah. trying to do? But the more important thing is to create the story of Baker Vision that they can see themselves in it Amen. and succeeding. Yeah. Right? And it goes back to, even organizations trying to hire people that they right. can see that they can make a difference. Going back to the company you're working with on DEI and belonging, the story of what that looks like uh, around in different cultures, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that is so powerful um, and it moves us. Great stories move us. So it really, uh, and, and to some extent, you think, well, none of this is rocket science, but it's really, it's just being intentional about putting it into place and building the connection and the trust and the psychological safety. It all builds on itself. So I love how you phrased all that. Well, thank you. And, (laughs) and I love what, what you guys are creating Uh, at Baker Donaldson. I'm so, I'm so thrilled about uh, what you're doing, about the success that you're having and about how that success is breeding success. So I would love to have you come back in, you know, Uh a year or so and talk about, so what's changed and how are things going and all of that. 
No, that'd be great. And what we've learned now from what we've just learned this past week about right. listening and about the acceleration and going back to some of the basics. Yeah, let's hold each other accountable and uh, <laughs> and see if we've gotten better. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> well, Tim, thank you so much for being with us, for sharing your passion, for passion, for sharing yeah. your passion around <laughs> leadership for sharing what you're creating at Baker Donaldson and some of the, a little bit of the challenges and a lot of the opportunities around that. I so admire what you guys are up to and I'm so thrilled to have gotten connected with you. Yeah, same here, Jenny. This has uh, made the start of the week perfect, like that we've been able to discuss these great, big, important things. So um, thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, it has truly been my honor. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning to think I'm beginning to think I'm not sitting I need a political science degree to get a grip on my anxiety. So, all out of learning in store.